Hi, this is Annalise Lapata, the Assistant Worship Leader of New Life Church. We hope this message propels you to know God more deeply and encourages you to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you go. Enjoy the message. All right, let's get on to today's message. And uh, today is the second week of our summer baggage. I hope you saw the display window. Uh, somebody was asking, why are you putting all this stuff up in the windows? I'm like, we're in a mall. You can't not put displays in the window. That's just weird. So, so we, we, we try to do that and make it fun. Um, but summer baggage, and I'm excited about this message because this message is something that we all, every single person here, struggles with. And I mean struggle like has to deal with. Okay? Every one of us have a different past. Some of us have different things we struggle with, right? From our, from our past, from our current situations. We all have these different things. But this particular piece of baggage is universal. It's universal. So I want to talk a little bit about this today. And it should hit home with you in some way, shape, or form, Lord willing. According to a November 2016 article in the magazine The Trek on the top backpacks on the Appalachian Trail, through hikers focus on and spend lots of money on packing low-weight items in their packs. Their goal is 20 pounds of items to last them the entire hike. Compare that to the 50-pound suitcase for a week-long trip. Hikers know they will be carrying their weight, the weight of everything they'll need. A stove, tent, first aid, food, water, uh, water filtration, extra socks, don't forget the extra socks, fire starter, and so on. And ruthlessly fight to select only the most lightweight, multi-purpose, and essential items in their pack. Uh, I have a friend who has a church down in the southern part of Connecticut uh, who has a, uh, a ministry called Hiker Church. Uh, Pastor Steve, Hiker Church. And what he, he's a hiker. He's, he's the guy who hikes all the time. I think there's something wrong with him. <laughs> I mean, I like to hike. This guy hikes all the time. But what he's, what he's noticed is that a lot of these Appalachian Trail through hikers, they, 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 they pride, themse- pride themselves, interesting word to use for today, pride themselves on being very spiritual people, but they have no spiritual direction. So what he does is he goes to the trails that they are on, and he brings uh, what they call trail magic. Not him, but what they call trail magic. And what trail magic is is this, when somebody gives you something that will help you along the trail that you didn't expect. And what happens is that he'll bring like, you know, cliff bars and, and, and socks and he'll get a whole thing of socks from somebody and he'll give out fr- fresh socks because it's one of the things that they need the most. And he has this ministry all up and down the Appalachian Trail different times during the year where he, where he does this. And he opens up conversation with these people because they haven't seen anybody for like, However long, they're dying for some conversation, and he talks to them about Jesus. And I just think, what a creative way. What a creative way to spread the love of God in a way that is like his thing, right? So, 
We should take this approach towards downsizing our baggage when considering the invisible weight we all willingly carry in our emotional baggage. What can we get rid of? What isn't essential? What will promote or protect our health on our journey? What has been proven true and helpful for those who have hiked this journey before us? So today's message is entitled, Baggage Drop. Baggage Drop. And our theme verse, which is on the, on the banners in the window, is uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the big idea is this. Pride grows because we crave independence and self-sufficiency. Yet we are called to depend on God in humility. We are called to depend on God in humility. Did you know? Did you know that you were not created for self-sufficiency? It's not part of your design. Self-sufficiency is a complete and utter lie. We all depend on something or someone or a combination of things. We are not, we are not solos. We are ensembles. Okay? We were not created that way. So we got to be careful. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride goes before not a fall. Oh, you thought. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, Proverbs 16, 8 is a direct juxtaposition of Proverbs 15, 33, which says this. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. So let's read those two together. Uh, back to back. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Haughtiness and pride imply self-confidence which produces carelessness and hence a fall, literally, sliding compared to the instruction of wisdom and humility coming before honor. The word used for pride is gone. It means arrogancy, excellency, majesty, pomp, and the swelling of this melon on the top of your neck. This swelling thing. Okay? Another descriptor of pride is stiff neck. You ever heard somebody stiff necked? If you've never heard that before, I can guarantee you've seen it. In fact, I saw it a couple times this past week. Kids are great at showing us what a stiff-necked attitude is. Okay? Uh, young toddler who doesn't want to give up his toy that doesn't belong to her or him to obey whatever the, speak, uh, the speaker is telling them to do. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, think about this for a second. The, the baby, you know the baby that 
doesn't like what's going on, what do they do? They just like, they just stiffen up and they turn away. And that's what being a stiff neck is. Anyone who spends time with children will see this stiffening of the spine and neck, sometimes crossing their arms, and the turning away of their body and face. They literally, they literally turn away from what should have their attention. Sadly, too many of us haven't matured much beyond this stage. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, think about it. When dealing with your spouse, something's going on that you don't like. I guarantee there's a, a rigidness to your posture. And ladies... And then the ever-present tapping of the toe. You know what I'm talking about. So the idea is we don't, we don't always progress as much as we think we do. But this is an ongoing problem. This is pride. This is this stiff-neckedness. This not wanting to be submissive to anything other than our own desires and our own self-sufficiency. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 has an example I want to read to you. We're going to start in verse 17. And it goes like this. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is, how hard it is for those who have wealth to inherit the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Of God. The rich man ran to Jesus, knelt before him, and addressed him as great teacher. Great teacher. You're like, Pastor, he, he seems pretty submissive. I mean, he seems he's got a good attitude. He seems like he's, you know, a pretty good dude. And I, I really think that he was. I mean, what does Jesus say? It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He's like, man, what a good kid. But he had a pride issue. He couldn't give up the thing that was causing him to be self-sufficient. He couldn't give up the thing that showed everybody in the world that he was holy. You got to remember back in the first century, great wealth to the religious elite 
and it might be even today, great wealth was a sign of God's favor, that you were on the right track. And if you were poor or you had a, a disability of some kind, it was considered the judgment of God for something that you've done or, or your parents did. This was the, the world that they grew up in. So it would be like him giving over what really showed his status in society. So Jesus went, uh, the man was respectful, and he seems he honestly wanted to learn. When speaking with the rich man, Jesus explained that he needed to sell all he owned and give, er, give all the earnings to the poor in order to be saved. One of the things that's very interesting about this passage, he says, go sell everything that you own, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Well, it's really hard to see those treasures, isn't it? He wasn't really giving up anything. He was just trading up. See the difference? Jesus wasn't asking him to, to uh, liquidate all of his assets. He was asking him to invest it for greater return in the kingdom. Why did Jesus pick on him like this? Because Jesus knew that was the one thing that he would not give up for Christ. Surrender is essential if we are going to be able to be disciples. Now, I don't know. I, I believe, I, I want to believe, because this guy was a good dude. I want to believe that after Christ's resurrection, that this, he was one of the first ones in that 5,000 people to get saved. Because he was right there. Jesus, Jesus saw that he was right there. So we might see this rich young man. It's unfortunate his name is not listed because we might see him someday and be like, I, I was that guy, yeah. <laughs> I was the guy. Took me a little while, but I got there. You know, I mean, we don't know for sure. But I, I want to believe because, listen, just because in the past you have rejected that submission from God, to God, doesn't mean you're pigeonholed and never go back to that. God is willing to, to receive us after multiple times of rejecting him. That's his love. That's his love. So you may say, you know, I've got, I, I, I'm not into this. I haven't been in this. Listen, I have talked to so many people who at one point were not into this. And then God got a hold of them. God showed them his love for them. And they said, you know what? I, I, I surrender. I, su I surrender to your love. You are God. There is no other. Jesus wasn't saying that money and possessions are necessarily evil, but this man had been, uh, had a strict rule, he was a strict rule follower, excuse me, yet was finding his security in his wealth. In his conversation with Jesus, he found something he couldn't buy with money. The man left in sorrow. After the man went away, Jesus turned to his disciples and reframed the scenario in a discipleship lesson. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That is a weird statement. Can we just be honest? That's a weird statement. And I have to believe 
that the people who were hearing that for the first time, who maybe knew what a camel was, I mean, I went to, recently was in, in Egypt and I rode a camel. And those are weird animals. They're weird. They have humps on their backs. If you look at it and you like, if you look at a camel like you've never seen a camel before, like, like that's, that's like a spare parts animal. Like, God was, like, down to spare parts in creation. He's like, let's throw some humps on that. We got, what do we got over here? We got, oh, we got a, a weird face. Let's put that on that thing. I mean, that and the platypus. They were the last two. They were spare parts animals. So it's a weird animal. But I have to believe because these people grew, were living in an agricultural culture, understood camels, and, were, and, and, and lived in that area of the world, that they understood better than we. So I'm going to try to break this down to you from the best way I know how to. Okay, one way. There's one way you could take this to understand it in a literal way. It's either a very small camel or a very large needle. Okay, you can do that. Literal. But here's the thing. If you take it absolutely literal, this is what it's saying. To, to take a needle and try to squeeze a camel through it is absolutely impossible. All right, it's impossible. The, the whole point, maybe it's impossible. It is impossible to cram a camel through the eye of a needle. That would mean that it is impossible for a person who, real, uh, to, who re- relies, excuse me, on his own means to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is true. Any person who relies on his own means to enter the kingdom of heaven We'll never do it. It's impossible. So maybe that's what Jesus was referring to. Okay? The other way, in a commentary by Mark, uh, on Mark 10, Matthew Henry gives an alternate explanation for what Jesus meant. Some historians believe this is a reference to a gate or a door to Jerusalem, completely uh, commonly known by its name, the Needles Gate. Now, there are references to the Needles Gate, but nobody knows where it is. So it's like people have had references to the Needles Gate in history, but you can't go to a place in Jerusalem right now and say, there's the Needles Gate, because they don't know. So it's, it, there's a question whether this gate even existed. But that being said, there is a precedent for other walled cities that have a gate like this. Okay? And the concept is that the camel itself cannot get through the gate unless it does two things. Unless it kneels and has its baggage removed. It's the only way that that camel is going to fit. So either way, either way you interpret that passage, there's truth to it. If you rely on yourself, it is as impossible as cramming a needle or, or a camel. Cram the needle through the camel or cam- the camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible to get to heaven on your own. It's impossible through your own abilities, your own means. Also, it's impossible to get into the kingdom unless you humbly submit, kneel, and let lay off the baggage, get the baggage taken off. 
So a rich man cannot get into heaven unless he is willing to part with his burdens of his self-sufficiency and worldly wealth. To lay down his pride and humbly prostrate himself and so enter the straight gate. Pride is often the hidden sin. One that is a little more acceptable for Christians to carry around in their luggage. People who refuse to let others know that they aren't perfect, who hide their sins, who decline to make a change in their lifestyle because they won't admit sin, or who so highly prioritize their reputation are often carrying the bag labeled pride. Guys, we do this in so many tiny ways. Our culture right now is based almost exclusively on this concept. We don't show people who we are. We have filters on our accounts to polish us up so that we look great. When's the last time you put something on your socials that made you look like garbage? You don't. You, you put out to the world what you want them to see. That has its roots in pride. I'm not saying that is a sin. I'm saying that is where we live. We are constantly wearing masks, and we, we are guilty of this sin thing. I think we just got through June, and this, this concept of Pride Month, right? This pri- Pride Month. That's an int- that is an interesting concept to me. Okay, pride is uh, is reshaped and re, uh, remaking. Pride is the reshaping and the remaking of ourselves into what we believe is valuable, important, praiseworthy, and deserving of love. That's what pride is. It's the remaking of ourselves, showing that to people what we believe is valuable, important, praiseworthy, and deserving of love. That's why. The pride movement is a perfect name for the LGBTQIA plus movement. It's a perfect name for that. Think about it. What happens in that, that, to those people, God bless them, who are in that world. They are remaking themselves into something that they were not born to. They are literally remaking themselves into something that they feel validates them instead of surrendering to the image of God already stamped on them. Now, I'm not saying this is an easy thing. Please understand. God bless the people who are struggling with that. But that's, I mean, it's, it's a perfect name for that. They are proud of what they have created out of what God created. I should actually rephrase that. They are proud of what they have crafted out of what God has created. So you and I can't create anything. We can't, create, we can't literally create anything. All we can do is craft things out of what God has already created. And there, a lot of those things are very beautiful. Some of those things can be very destructive. Creating God. See, this is what this pride movement does. It creates God, little G-O-D, in our image. The image we want to make him into. 
Romans 1 talks about this. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Got really quiet in here. This is because we're dealing with stuff that's happening right now. Pastor, you don't love people. Whoa. That might be true sometimes, but that's not my heart. I'm not perfect. That's not my heart. I love people. I love people so much. Trust me, you don't do this gig unless you have a little bit of love for people. But I mean, just, just take the concept of how the, the emblem that they put out to the world, the LGBTQIA plus community. It's a rainbow, right? But it's not the rainbow. It's different. It's not even the light spectrum. It's been modified. Do you see what I'm saying? So they have to take them. And, and here's what I'm saying. If you, if you are here today and you're in that community, listen, I love you very much. God loves you. And you are welcome here. Here's the thing. God loved you far before that. You are valuable who you are. I don't know who told you that in the past that you needed to, to, to remake yourself but it wasn't God. If it was a church, I'm so sorry. But I'm telling you today, you are valuable. God loves you. And he made you special. Ah. Moving on. Tim Elmer, in his co uh, contribution to the Growing Leaders blog, writes about pride and image management. Over the years, I have decided to ditch, he says, working on my reputation. Instead, work on my reality. Instead of look, working on my reputation, I'm going to work on my reality. In other words, my integrity is the key to solidify how others view me. Remember, the term integrity simply means one or whole. When I have integrity, it doesn't mean I'm perfect leader. It means what I say and what I do are the same. Ooh. What I say, who I am, and what I put out to the world are the same. That's integrity. I am transparent about who I am. It's the uh, opposite of hypocrisy. As I work on my character, my reputation takes care of itself. As I work on my character, my reputation takes care of itself because I am not pretending to be anyone other than what God made me to be. Pastors are sometimes the most guilty of that. Let me just give you an example. We look at other churches and the things that they're doing, and we go, ooh, I want to do that. I think I, ugh. So we start comparing ourselves and our ministries to other churches in the area or around the world. It's gotten harder since the YouTubes. 
right? Because now we, I'm just not comparing, we're not comparing ourselves to the church down, the other new life that's down the street, and then the other new life that's down the road, and the other new life that's in the other town. There's so many new lives, isn't there? Anyway, uh, we're not just comparing ourselves, we're comparing ourselves globally now. And pastors struggle with that. But I would have to say it's probably just, it's more of a human tendency than just a pastor tendency. How many people find yourself comparing yourself with others? Comparing yourself with someone's job or toys. Guys, that's us. Like, oh, he's got, oh, I got to get a truck now because so-and-so got a truck. I'm going to get one one year younger than his so that he has to go buy a new one. No, uh, ladies, it might be, wow, she looks like this on her socials, and I want to be like that. And, you know, these types of things, we do that. Why? Why do we do that? It's the pride of our hearts, looking at our significance through the eyes of other people. When all we should be doing is surrendering to the will of God in our lives and trying to see ourselves how he sees us. And church, listen to me. That should be the way we see people. I'm saying church meaning the people of the church, not the building, not just the gathering today. Yes, I do mean when people come through these doors, we should see them the way God sees them. I don't care. We should see people with the love of God and see them as valuable no matter what they come in looking like, smelling like, feeling like. We should see them as God's children. And I'm also using this as a bigger statement. The church. You are the church. When you leave this building, you don't stop being the church. You go out into your world and you are the church. So you need to see people the way God sees people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community. We need to be careful that we don't do to people what we, want, we, we wouldn't want done to ourselves. We have to be careful. Historically, and I'm going to end with this concept, because I don't want our church to be like, like this, okay? Historically, some of the most judgmental people on the planet come from churches. And that is a sad commentary. Not in my world, right? Not in your world. Let's be Christ. The best way to be Christ to other people is this. To see people as God sees them is to surrender your own self to what God has made you to be. It's a tough thing. It grates against our sinful nature to surrender to the image that God has placed on us. And it's going to be hard for you to give that away unless you have accepted it and received it from him in the first place. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this church that you have allowed me the, the privilege to shepherd. And God, I pray right now that your heart would be something 
that my brothers and sisters can feel today, that your heart, your love for them, Lord, help them to understand that there's nothing in this world or above or below that can separate them from your love. Nothing. And all you've asked us is to surrender to that love. You've opened it up freely, without cost to ourselves. The only cost was paid by your son, Jesus. And all we need to do is to give in, to surrender, to submit to the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would lay down our pride today, our pride that keeps us from being real with people, being able to deal with our stuff in the past because we're hiding it because we don't want people to see that maybe we're a little bit broken. For my brothers and sisters who are a little bit broken today, I say to them, welcome to the club. We're all a little broken. And Lord, you don't want us to be fixed before we come to you because that is like cramming a camel to the eye of a needle. You want us to surrender our brokenness to you so that you can heal us. Lord, I pray right now for anybody today who's struggling with any of the issues that we talked about today. Lord, reveal to them your great love. Reveal to them that their baggage in their past does not define them now or in the future. It's a it's stuff that is maybe tragic, but it's happened to them. It doesn't define, have to define them. We should be defined by the mercy, grace, sacrificial love of our Creator. So Lord, be with my brothers and sisters today. If anybody's struggling with this stuff, I pray today, this week, that they would open up and that they would share with a trusted friend or a loved one or they would make the phone call the tough phone call to get an appointment with this guy I would love to sit across the table from them and just affirm how amazing they are to the God who created them so we thank you that for this opportunity we can be the church to one another and we surrender our stuff our pride to you today in Jesus name I pray amen thanks for listening To learn more about New Life Church, check out our website at discovernewlife.org.